Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is Whiskey Wednesday, January 27th, 2021, and you're listening to episode 31. Today, we speak with Michael Scully and Paul Corbett of Clonakilty Atlantic Distillery in County Cork, Ireland. But first, stay tuned for this week's Whiskey Chronicles. The Center for Culinary Culture, home to the Cocktail Collection, has a YouTube channel, Eats, Drinks, TV. Streaming now are Cocktails, The Grand Tour, Culinary Quickies, Music and Booze with Mo, B is for Vino, and this podcast, Spirits of Whiskey. New shows coming soon include Complete Greek, Mighty Fine Wine, and Spirits of Rum, a podcast featuring personalities from the wide world of cane spirits. Find us on YouTube at Eat Drinks TV and subscribe now. The Center for Culinary Culture, telling the story of food and drink, one taste at a time. With all the political turmoil and inaugural festivities surrounding the new United States presidential administration, we'd like to spotlight something a little more fun going in the District of Columbia. Rugby. Yes, I said rugby, a sport that is said to have originated at rugby school in Warwickshire, England in 1823. By 1871, the first international match was played between Scotland and England, with the Scots taking the win 1-0. By the mid-19th century, the sport had been introduced to the United States. Although it still played in America, its popularity declined in the early 1900s after American-style football began its long and phenomenal rise in popularity. And it didn't really make a comeback in the U.S. until the 1960s and 70s. The United States national team participated in the 1987 Rugby World Cup, and in 2009, the sport received a significant boost when the International Olympic Committee reinstated rugby as a medal sport beginning in 2016, marking a triumphant return to the Summer Olympics after their absence of 92 years. So what does any of this have to do with Washington, D.C.? Well, in 2018, Old Glory, D.C., a professional rugby team, officially joined the MLR, or Major League Rugby, making it the first and only professional rugby team in the nation's capital. This year's rugby season starts Saturday, March 20th, 2021, and to kick it off, Old Glory, D.C. has partnered with Ireland's Clonakilty Atlantic Distillery, which is producing two exclusive expressions of Irish whiskey for the team. First up is a limited edition release finished in X-Rum casks. Each bottle will be individually numbered for collectors and available for purchase in limited locations. In addition, purchasers will have the chance to win a trip for two to Ireland. The second expression will be finished in X-Bordeaux wine casks. And both will be available through the Old Glory website at the start of the season. For more information on this partnership, the Old Glory DC rugby team, and the history of rugby in the U.S. in general, visit our website for today's show notes. Up next, we speak with Michael Scully and Paul Corbett about Clonakilty Irish Whiskey. Stay with us. Hey, do you like whiskey, food, and adventure? I do. Hi, I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise. I'm the chef. Chef Louise Leonard, as in our World of Wheezy segment host here on the podcast, and... 
Whiskey, a chef's journey. That chef. That's right. The project that started this very podcast. The series stars our very own chef, Louise Leonard, winner of Emmy-winning The Taste on ABC. And explores and connects the worlds of whiskey and food, city by city, country by country. Would you like to see this spirited culinary adventure on a TV near you? Well, you can by helping us finish the pilot episode through our crowdfunding campaign. For more information, including behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and incentives. And to make a pledge, visit our website, whiskeyachefsjourney.com. Or search for our campaign, Whiskey A Chef's Journey, at gofundme.com. That's gofundme.com now. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. Bless. <laughs> cheers. cheers. Today on Spirits of Whiskey, we are fortunate to have with us two gentlemen from Clonakilty, County Cork, Ireland. Welcome, gentlemen. Hi, good evening. Welcome, Philip. And you two gentlemen are Michael Scully, founder of Clonakilty Distillery, and Mr. Paul Corbett, master distiller, blender, maturer, etc. at Clonakilty Distillery. So good to have you with us. Yes, fantastic to have you guys here. Thank you guys for making the arrangement. I know the time difference is, is a bit tricky. Gentlemen, County Cork is the direct neighbor to County Kerry, I believe. And Kerry, since you are producer and co-host of this podcast, I thought I'd yes. just give a shout out. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I am named after County Kerry. It's the Irish in me. My sister got stuck with Kelly, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So as we always start out each episode, we like to talk about each person's whiskey journey. So when they were a child, did they think, okay, I'm going to be in whiskey like the family, or I have a dream to be in whiskey, or this just, you know... Or I was a bookkeeper and I decided I'm going to make whiskey. Right. So Michael, we'll start with you. Let's talk about your whiskey journey. Where did it all begin? Yeah. Hi, Kerry. Well, the journey started in County Cork. You say it is next to County Kerry, and there's some great rivalries between the two counties. Fortunately, I think that County Kerry has been maintaining the upper hand over the past 10 years or therefore thereabouts. But um, we did manage to beat you guys this year, <laughs> everybody. So that was good. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I was born here on the family farm. It's right on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm the eighth generation successor to work the family farm. We've had it in our family for the past 320 years. And I'm glad to say that um, our Ninth generation. Wow. So it's a pretty special place. Yeah. And historically, what have you cultivated on that farm? So it's mainly a dairy farm, but we have grown some barley through the ages. I was one of the first people in the area to grow some of the heritage varieties that we are now growing for producing and making whiskey. My father was 90 years old this year. He's still alive and kicking. And he, um, wow. back in the 1920s, he was in the 1930s. And with his own father, he was involved in growing some heritage barley right in the edge of the coast by the Delhi Headway. And Paul is going to be making whiskey with that barley within the next three or four months. So we're really oh, excited wonderful. about that project. Wow. So what got you to decide you wanted to make whiskey? For From milk to mother's milk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> A different kind of spirit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as well as dairy farming, I spent a lot of time in other businesses. I really got a little bit tired of traveling and I wanted to create a business that was a little bit closer to home, which showcased the fabulous soil and the fabulous maritime in Huron in the south of Ireland. So I started looking at various different food products and given my love of whiskey and the fact that it seemed to be a very good business and we could showcase best of our, our local soil through our whiskey, then um, I decided to get involved and um, start a whiskey distillery from scratch, really. 
That was back in 2015. Mm. Took us four years before we had it finally built and started. All right. So it opened in 2019. You started producing product in 2019? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Paul. Paul Corbett. Yes. Let's hear about you. Now, when you were a child, did you have aspirations to be a master blender or a whiskey maker? Or how did you get to where you are? Well, when I was growing up, my grandfather would have worked on the maturation side for what was then Cork Distillers, which is now a part of the Irish Distillers family. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there would have always been whiskey about the house, but I guess at that early age, I wasn't thinking of actually drinking it back then. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised by some of our interviews. <laughs> yeah, so my undergraduate in uh, university was microbiology. And after that, I would have worked in a lot of large multinational pharmaceutical companies as an industrial microbiologist or doing biopharmaceutical fermentations. But I really wasn't finding it very fulfilling or working on a project for about a year to produce about a liter of this drug. Uh, I'm lucky I'll never actually have to use or see again. <laughs> So I was thinking about what I could do, and I'd always been home brewing and into craft beer at the time as well. So I packed in the pharmaceuticals. I moved to Scotland and did a master brewer, master distiller course at uh, Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Nice. I stayed there for a year. I got the opportunity to come back and work for CNC as a brewer. And they have a large brewery and cider mill here in the Midlands in Ireland. Really, whiskey is where I was hoping to wind up. So uh, I applied for the job as the lead distiller at the Teeling Whiskey Company in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We recently interviewed Jack and Stephen. Yes, lovely men. Yeah, I was. They hired me and went, took me on as their lead distiller. I spent roughly about three years living there in Dublin, but I really wanted to get back to my native Cork. So when I saw a post that Michael was thinking of uh, opening a distillery, I got in contact with him. We met up, everything sounded brilliant, so he lured me back to Cork. Well, he didn't have to try really hard. Cork is where I wanted to be. So you can put the cork back in the bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Master of the pun jokes, this one. (laughs) They call me the punisher. (laughs) Yeah. Well, fascinating journeys, both of you. Michael, the brand, the distillery. We've read the background, the history, the windswept coast, the greenness, if you will, of your operations. Can you tell us about the brand? Again, you told us about the germ of the brand, but actually executing it, actually realizing the vision. Can you tell us that story? Okay, well, uh, my wife, Helen, was quite involved at the start of the whole project as well. So we took a decision back in 2015, as I said, to go down this route. And the first thing we did is we started traveling throughout the world, visiting different distilleries in many, many countries throughout the world. It's a good way to go. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet that research was just painstaking. That was great fun. It really (laughs) was great fun. It was awesome. Michael and Helen of Cork. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And we met some great people. And I think what impressed me most in that journey actually was just the people we met and the friendliness and the openness that we got from other distilleries, potential competitors, but they were all very friendly, very open. And it it seemed like one really big, friendly family. And that is actually something that we have consistently seen in the distilling industry. That's something we have seen through our work as well. It's a community generous in spirit. Yes. It is, definitely, yeah, definitely. And that was one of the reasons why we felt very happy going to this business. So once we visited all these various distilleries and picked the best ideas from every place, we started trying to realize the dream, I suppose. And the original dream was to 
locate the distillery here. On. This amazing property just happened to come for sale in Clonakilty, in the town of Clonakilty, which was perfectly suited to the distillery and to our vision to create a world-class visitor experience. It was right on the Wild Atlantic Way, which is a road often travelled by tourists. So we found this building, which was built back in 2006. It was meant to be an Ulster bank and uh, was never actually occupied by the bank as a result of the session, especially in Ireland back in 2006. Right, right, right. So we managed to procure that building and converted it via distillery. So it's, I think, a far better use than a bank. <laughs> Booze over nice. banks. Booze over banks. So how far is the distillery with the visitor's centre from the farm? It's about five miles. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's also on the edge of the water in the town of Clonicles. Very dramatic. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yes. So when you got things going and you decided to start making the whiskeys, which was the first expression that you made? And how did you come up with the ideas for each one of these that you have? Well, as Paul said, one of our first steps was to hire Paul and we worked with Paul in designing the plant and getting everything ready before we actually started making whiskey. So our plant was designed to make a single pot still Irish whiskey, which is unique to Ireland. Right. A lot of people think that a, a single pot still whiskey is a whiskey that's actually made in a pot still. That's technically not correct. It's a pot still whiskey is uniquely Irish and it is made with a mixture of malted and unmalted barley, mm-hmm. which gives it really distinctive and different flavors. The pot still whiskeys that people would be familiar with market at the moment would be the red breasts of this world and those pots. Mm-hmm. So that is our ultimate aim, to make a really high-quality pot still whiskey. And we're well on the way to doing that, I think. Right. And that's exclusively what you're doing. We also have the capacity to make a malt, but up to now, mm-hmm. it's just pot still whiskeys. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Having said that, Philip, we're obviously it takes three years to mature a whiskey, and we're only about 18 months into that process at the moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, of course. So we've sourced some casks from a lot of other distilleries throughout the country. Mm-hmm. And we blend those and we mature those and we finish them at our own warehouse on the farm by the edge of the Atlantic. Okay, very good. Do you want to match these flavors with what you're making later down the road? Yeah, well, I suppose when, when you say we, what we're making later, it will be matured in the same environment and it will be matured in similar type barrels, but it will be a different flavor profile and a different whiskey. And that's something that we will address when our own kind of Kilty whiskey is ready to put on the market. Uh-huh. And that will probably be another four or five years' time. Okay. We're not going to rush out and put it on the market straight away after three sure. years. Sure. So five to ten years from now, if somebody purchases something out of the Clonakilty distillery, the flavor profile is going to be distinct or at least different. Yes. From what's in the market today. Correct. Okay. Yes, correct. It will still be, um, well, I think what we have in the market today, as well as what we intend to have them in the market in five years, will still be very much in the premium category. Mm-hmm. They still will be distinctive. Right. Right, right. So, Paul, did you do all the blending on what's currently in the market now, on all the maturing and all the tasting of where you wanted the flavors to be when you finished them? Yeah, so the whiskeys that are currently on the market, yeah, I would have blended all those. And for the new make spirit we're producing in the distillery at the moment, I would have come up with the ratios of malt to raw barley that we use to produce mm-hmm. our different styles of new make, I guess. Fantastic. Is the new make available in the market? Or are you doing a pachin? No, we don't currently uh, okay. sell it as is. But when I'm producing it, so to be called a pot still whiskey, you have to be a minimum 30% raw barley. 
Mm-hmm. And it's raw barley compared to malted barley, where malted barley will give you a lot of biscuits and bready and sweet flavors. Of course. The raw barley, which is the unique to Irish whiskey, gives you a lot heavier, oily mouthfeel, and uh, it's more spicy as well rather than sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I'll make different spirits. I'll use maybe 60% of that raw barley and 40% malt in one, and that'll give you a more viscous, heavy, spicy spirit which is good into say virgin oak or ex-bourbon barrels and then i'll do say the opposite where i'll use 60 percent of the malted barley and 40 percent of the raw barley and that's a lighter sweeter more biscuity bready which i spirit which i think goes better into say the more the export casks that we would have used for our pork cask blend and that that lighter spirit will leave more the fruity notes come through and then in 5, 10, 15 years time, I can blend these two, the heavy spirit and the lighter spirit together in different ratios to create different products, depending on what we're looking for, like a heavy, oily spirit or a light and fruity one. Mm -hmm. All right. So everything is pot still, but you're using several different mash bills. Yeah, two different mash bills. And then I can run the stills at different speeds as well or take mm-hmm. different cuts. So on a heavier spirit, I'll take a, leave a little more faints true in or I can run the still extra slow if I want a real light spirit so you're not uh, throwing those heavier congeners over into your distillate. Uh-huh. So there's, there's lots of uh, variables you can do to adjust the flavor of your spirit. Two different distilleries with the exact same equipment using the same grain can produce just wildly different spirits depending on the distiller or how he runs his plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Carrie, what do you say we start tasting these three expressions yes. we have in front of us and then we can move into the minky gin and then the various finishes that are either in the market or coming to market. Sounds good to me. I always like a little Irish whiskey for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that's what I call the fall Irish. <laughs> so we have the single batch, the cast finished series, and the single grain. Which order, gentlemen, should we taste these in? I'd start with the, you said you have the double oak, do you? Yes, the double oak. Yes. That's the blue single, single batch. Okay, very good. The single batch. All right. Let's take a taste of that. I get fruit and grain on the nose. I'm getting a lot of butterscotch on the palate. Yep. I'm also getting like a bread. You're getting like a, bre- a breadiness? Bread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, are we in communion with the consensus? Yeah, you're definitely in, in the right <laughs> ballpark. So double oak, it's finished in virgin American oak and a neoc cask, which is an ex-Bordeaux red wine cask, which has been rejuvenated. So the inside will be shaved and retoasted. Uh-huh. So it won't have any of the wine qualities, but it does mm-hmm. reinvigorate the European wood. So you should be getting, yeah, there's a lot of vanilla, some uh, ginger, but the base spirit itself was quite grassy and green apple flavors. So yeah, yeah I think you're pretty mm-hmm. on the money there. And you said a virgin American oak is one of the oaks, not ex-bourbon. So the spirit, uh, the whiskey itself would have originally been in uh, ex-bourbon, but then okay. I will vat together and then put into virgin American oak and neoc casks. Okay. All right. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Well, this is a lovely, it's very springy. It's very springy. Yes. It's quite tasty. It's downright blooming. I should give a special shout out to Paul here because at the World Whiskey Awards in 2020, this whiskey, the Double Oak, was awarded the world's best blended Irish whiskey. Congratulations. congratulations. That's wonderful. It was fabulous. And we were talking just a moment ago about the new make and at the same awards, 
Paul uh, was for his new make. He was awarded the world's best hot still new make. Mm-hmm. So it was a great double for them. That's fantastic. Since that's not available for sale, I'm assuming that was a competition only release. Correct. Okay. So, which order did you make these, or did you start them all at the same time? Double Oak was the first release. And then what about the Port Cask and the Single Grain Bordeaux Cask? Then, yeah, Port and then Single Grain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I think okay. that means it's time to move on to Port then. What's the base for the Port? Is it the same juice or a different blend? No, it's the same blend, but then instead of filling into Virgin American Oak and into Neoc, I put it into first, second, and third fill Port Cask. Mm. Oh, I'm trying to nail down what the scent is on the nose. It's a more... This is so much spicier. Yeah. So much spicier, both on the nose and on the palate, than the uh, the single batch double oak. Yeah, I definitely taste the oak in this one. And I'm definitely tasting maybe, the port. Maybe that's the... Maybe, yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's the port that I'm smelling. I don't really drink port on a normal basis, so I'm not exactly sure what it smells like, but that must be what it is. Well, all the port casks we use will be European oak, which is a spicier variety of oak compared to the your white oak mm-hmm. in uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's yeah. just lovely. Yeah, there is a, not that the single batch double oak is lacking in complexity in any way, but this one crosses the palate, the finish. There's greater complexity on the back of the palate and the finish with the port cask. Yeah, I like it. It's good. All right, let's talk about the Bordeaux cask finish, the single grain. So the single grain, as the name suggests, is 100% grain whiskey. So it's a, it'll be a lighter uh, whiskey than the uh, double oak or the port cask, but that allows the finish to come through a lot more. So that was all distilled in 2010, so it's quite old now, so it's 11 years old, mm-hmm. and finished in Bordeaux red wine casks. Okay, so this would have matured in ex-bourbon, and then, or aged in um, ex-bourbon, and then you finished it in ex-Bordeaux red? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can taste that Bordeaux. Oh, that's, that's candy on the nose. Absolute yes. candy on the nose. In a good way. Mm-hmm. These three are all excellent. It drinks like candy as well. That is magnificent. So what other whiskey expressions do you guys have out on the market right now? For the U.S., we've been doing a lot of collaborations with breweries around the country. So I like doing collaborations. I like doing beer finishes since, mm-hmm. there's, since the craft beer revolution has been in full swing, there's a lot of really interesting flavors in beer now, flavors that you wouldn't normally get in whiskey. And so I think it's a great opportunity working with these breweries to try and introduce some novel, new and interesting whiskeys into the market. So tell us about this collaboration with Pelican Brewing in Pacific City, Oregon, mother of all storms cask finish Irish whiskey. Yeah, so the mother of all storms is um, a barley wine. I believe it was 14%. Mm-hmm. So to create a beer of that magnitude, you need to use a real huge amount of grain. So I would say, uh, say a barley wine is a real showcase of flavor you can get from the grain mm-hmm. in a beer rather than, say, the hop. So I really wanted to try and get the flavors from all those speciality malts that they would use to in the beer and introduce it to the distiller's grain that we would use to produce whiskey and try and get some a real showcase of grain, like I said, inside in this whiskey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there are other finishes as well, both in the market and I heard tell of a stout, a stout cask finish. Yeah, with the New England uh, Brewing Company, we did, they have an imperial stout called Stout Trooper. <laughs> a whiskey and a stout is my drink of choice. Uh-huh. I'm uh, enjoying 
I night out, so it seemed natural to me to try and combine these two and get the rich chocolatey flavors from the stout uh, into the whiskey. Mm-hmm. And it worked out fantastic. Mm-hmm. It actually won double gold at the San Francisco Spirit Awards. Congratulations. Double gold is fantastic. And at San Francisco, yeah. no less. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. My hometown. Carrie's hometown. Tell us about Minky Gin. And is that the only non-whiskey spirit you make? Yeah. At the moment, it's the only non-whiskey we make. And are you making the base juice? The base spirit is distilled from way where maybe Michael can tell you more. Yeah. So from the farm. Yes. We run a dairy farm here, as I said earlier in the program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the milk from our cows and that of other neighboring farmers is one of the byproducts from that milk is whey. Mm-hmm. And we get back to whey alcohol, and we use that as a base for our own gin. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yeah, I've had other milk gins, and I love the consistency of the spirit, the mouthfeel of yeah, the spirit. Yeah, and that's on the market now? Yes, it is. It's in the market. It's in seven or eight of the U.S. states right now. Okay. All right. Great. We finish it with uh, we, some of the botanicals we use. We gather from our local seashore here. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting ones is a botanical called Rock Samphire, which goes right it grows wild on the coast, mm-hmm. just above the waterline, about two meters above the waterline. So we send a team out in the early summer every year to harvest this rock samphire. Oh, wow. And use that. Then. As well as that, Paul, with a compound, we distill our different botanicals in season. So the citrus is best in the winter. So we distill our citrus in the winter. Oh, very cool. Ah, okay. Our rock samphire is best in the summer. So, so then we just blend them together to get maximum freshness. Mm-hmm. Um, just before bottling. Okay. So you're yeah. distilling these separately rather than in a carter basket. Is that correct? Yes. It's uh, four different distillations I'll do. So oh, wow. I do a base gin kind of distillation, which is kind of your usual gin botanicals, your juniper, coriander, mm-hmm. etc. Then I will do a citrus distillation, which is the lemon, lime, grapefruit, and orange peels. I distill lavender completely on its own. Mm-hmm. And we distill the rock samphire on its own. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I do this because different flavors come through at different points on a still run. And also if I'm blending after distillation rather than putting different amount of botanicals into the still, I find you can just get the, the flavor like much more dialed in than if you were yeah. mixing all the botanicals in at once. Right, right, because then you can choose if you want it to be heavier on lavender or lighter on the lavender and such. Yeah, yeah, and as Michael said, then I'll only do citrus in probably February in Ireland and rock samphire just kind of towards the end of the summer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These are when the times that these botanicals are in the freshest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love the opportunity to taste those distillates all on their own. We did a program here in Los Angeles a couple of years back with gin, and the program featured the individual distillates as a lead up to the end product. And by program, he means a live tasting with the... Yes, a live in person in the before times. Yes, yes. How do those drink on their own? The citrus is, as you might expect, it's very citrusy. Lemons and limes coming through the base gin, I think, is nearly almost good enough to sell as a gin, as you know, and it's quite a dry juniper-forward spirit. Okay. The rock samphire is very potent on its own. It tastes like the seaside, I guess. It's, it's briny and earthy. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend drinking it on its own, but when inside <laughs> a, a mixture of, with the other botanicals, it really adds kind of just a salty seaside flavor to the gin. Yeah. 
Yeah. There is a distillery just outside Los Angeles in Ventura that has been experimenting with seaweed, a seaweed distillate. They have yet to take it to market. They said it's a real bear to deal with, but they're determined to get there. I would imagine it would be. And I don't know that I'd want to taste that. (laughs) I've tasted it. I've tasted the beta versions, several of them, and they're all quite good. Okay, good. Uh, In our early days when we were developing the flavor for our minky gin, we did some trial work with seaweed and it is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Wish those guys the best of luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they said they said they've yet to reach the point where the ROI justifies the investment, but they're working at it. Hmm. Interesting. If any of your listeners ever get to Ireland, uh, Philip and Kerry, then we um, run a gin school here. Ah, part of oh, our fun. visitor experience. Mm-hmm. So that's great fun. That's a super night. It's, um, so, do you get to make your own bottle to take home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll educate you on the different botanicals. You get to, uh, we give you some trial recipes or you can get to adjust the recipes in whatever way you like. Then you put your botanicals into a little glass, take it to your own mini still and distill it. Take home your own bottle, give it your own name. Mm-hmm. It's, um, oh, it's a so really fun, fun night out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that sounds fun. a great deal of fun. And is your visitor center currently open or did you have to shut down for COVID? Unfortunately, it's shut down again. Yeah, we just got shut down again, too. I have lots of people working on films and back to TV shows and everybody's back on lockdown. And so yeah. no filming in L.A. Hopefully come next March, come Patrick's Day, we'll be up and running. Looking into oh, the well, view mirror and all of this. That's a good target. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A fitting target. Let's get that vaccine yeah. out to everybody. Yeah. Need to get out of the house. So cocktails. <laughs> Cocktails. Gentlemen, we never ask what your favorite cocktail is, but we do ask what your favorite category is. Do you have go-tos? Is there something you order more one than the other? And how do you like to see Clonakilty cocktailed to your taste? And also, suppose you're in a bar or restaurant and you're ordering something and Clonakilty is not on the menu. Where do you go? Well, both Paul and myself were discussing this earlier and actually both of our favorite cocktails are old fashions and whiskey sours. Mm, okay. And sours. Great. So the, the, I suppose that's where... So speaking for myself, definitely that is where I will go and what I will do, whether I'm at home making a cocktail for myself with kind of guilty whiskey. Or if, um, Which expression would you use in your old fashioned? I think the double oak actually would be the, um, with the Virgin American oak coming through there. It's, um, it's that little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Likewise in the sour? And likewise in the sour as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think pork cask will work with the sweeter cocktails. And um, if you had a fruitier type cocktail, then the same. Okay. So if you're doing an Irish Manhattan, maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Paul? Yeah, well, I do prefer the classic bourbon cocktails, like the same as Michael. So I would use the double oak in those because it does have the woody flavors coming through. Mm-hmm. I do sometimes like to take, say, classic a white Russian, but with whiskey, uh, I do like to do. And if they don't have Clan Kilty, I would try that with smoky whiskey and it might surprise you the flavors you'll get through with that i could see that sure Hmm. yeah indeed indeed i would love to try this bordeaux finish in an old-fashioned where it's not competing with anything else because again it smells and drinks like candy in the best way yeah that might be good what about gin what about gin cocktails again my favorite would be a gin sour Mm. so i'd make it the exact same way as i'd make it with whiskey sour but i'd um, substitute whiskey. Uh uh-huh okay paul what about you Gin, I usually have my gin just a straight up gin and tonic. Okay. That's where I can get the best. I, I really like to analyze the gin and taste all the botanicals when I'm drinking gin. So I generally just go straight up gin and tonic. That is a good way of doing it, indeed. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah. So what's the next for you guys with your releases? Yes. Do you have anything new coming out or are we just waiting now for your stuff to mature? And your plan for world domination. We want to hear it. Yes. <laughs> well, we have a number of interesting whiskey collaborations, beer collaborations, say brewing with um, with the United States and different breweries. We're gonna have, we won't mention who they are quite yet, but there will be um, two or three of those. And uh, we've got an interesting one coming out of the Irish market. They're all going to be pretty interesting. We do have a few other expressions that we're working on at the moment and expect to release something new in quarter two of this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying quite too much about it yet. And we okay. certainly would hope before the end of this year to start releasing some very special releases. We've got some really, really good aged stock in very limited quantities. So we're okay. fantastic. Very good. Very good. Any spirits that are not whiskey or gin? We are looking at another white spirit at the moment, but we haven't taken a decision yet. Mm. Okay. Understood. We do a slow gin. We've just experimented with a slow gin in the market here in Ireland. Yeah. So that's actually really lovely. It's very much a quintessential Irish and UK drink, uh, Christmas type drink. Mm-hmm. And you can drink it as a liqueur. You can drink it as like hot whiskey. Except you put slows in there, or you can make um, some fabulous slow cocktails with it. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. That's great. So back to world domination. How soon are you guys <laughs> going to be in California? Yeah, that's an interesting question. We're my son Sean actually operates in the Pacific Northwest, and he leads our he's spearheading our market presence in Oregon. And that's Sean Sean Scully, yes. Sean, Sean Scully, yes. So he's doing a great job there, and we're starting to get pretty good recognition there. So ultimately, we'll probably move to Washington State, going north and going south um, towards California. Mm -hmm. So we are looking at California at the moment. It's on our target list. And certainly, I think we will be there in the next two to three years, maybe in 2021. I wouldn't rule it out. um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be fantastic because I'd like to be able to go and get this. It's a pretty huge market, California. Yes. Yes, we are. We're huge. On behalf of all Americans, we apologize. (laughs) I apologize for the three-tier system. You have to battle on 51 fronts to get full coverage here. Yes, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Thanks, Prohibition. (laughs) Thanks, Archaic Prohibition. (laughs) Once you understand the three-tier system and you understand how to navigate through it. Yes, yes. On the upside, we can give you 330 million prospective customers. Yes, that's good. Very happy, appreciative (laughs) customers at that. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, they're in for a treat. I think we can say that. Yes, for sure. I was in a virtual tasting a few months back, and that's how I discovered you guys. So I tasted the whiskey, and I said, we got to get them on, because it's it's great. You guys are doing good stuff there. Thank you. This has been lovely. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for your time and your work. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. We look very forward to what you're going to have in the future. And once you get your first release of your own whiskey juice out, please let us know. We would love to have you back. We're delighted. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. Chef Louise Leonard is in the house. Welcome back to the show, Louise. Today, we're going to talk about Clonakilty, Ireland. We got some great Irish whiskeys, three expressions from there. So out of the three we sent, which one did you choose to do something with? Well, hey there, Carrie. I'm glad to be back. You know, I was really happy reading all about this distillery because I'm experiencing some severe wanderlust right now. And County Cork, and especially along the coast, is someplace I've never been and have been wanting to go for quite some time. 
So uh, I was more than happy to taste this and read all about the distillery. I really do feel like I need to pair this with some fish. I chose the Clonakilty single grain. Okay. I love, love, love skate. I'm not sure if you've ever had that, but it is something that is fished off the coast there. And well, or so I read, how would I know? I have never been there. But if you don't use (laughs) skate, you could use any other simple thin white fish for this preparation that I'm about to tell you about. But I love skate wing. Okay, You'll see it listed as skate wing on on a menu because basically the fish has these two magnificent large wings on either side of a cartilaginous section that runs the center of its body. It's a very strange looking fish. It's very delicious. And really all that is required is a simple dusting of flour and, you know, whatever, however you want to spice it, season it, and then pan fry it. So I think what I would do is a simple pan fried skate. I would make a really nice brown butter because hello, Irish butter, what's better? Right. I would do a brown butter and then serve that. A little Kerrygold. Of course, some Kerrygold, salted Kerrygold, brown butter with pan fried skate. And I would serve that with a wild greens and strawberry salad. Now, I know that there are a lot of greens that are foraged throughout Ireland, different types of cress, different types of wild chives, all different types of greens that I can very much imagine the pepperiness and with some wild strawberries as well to give a little sweetness paired with a fried fish and the brown butter. Oh man, my mouth is watering just thinking about this. And considering that all of that would be local food products, it would just complement this whiskey perfectly. Absolutely. That sounds really good. Um, I just actually had white fish yesterday. And I, so now I wish I would have talked to you before I made it. I'm scared to hear what you did. (laughs) You shouldn't be scared. I mean, it was just, it was just simple. I just did some sea bass with a little bit of two or three different, actually, no, I think it was just two seasonings and that's it. And then baked it. When you make a sea bass, it just has that really buttery, great flavor anyway. So you don't really need a lot for sea bass, I think. Oh, no, no. You know, a thicker, firmer you know, fish like that absolutely doesn't need much. The deal with skate wing or any type of fish that I would substitute for this preparation, I would use like a whiting or a fluke or something that's very thin. These are, these are all really thin fish. So when you pan fry them, they straight up take like one to two minutes per side. And they're done. Oh, wow. You really kind of have to do it over high heat. You would use like a neutral oil, a high heat oil, such as like grapeseed. And you just get that really nice and hot and kind of slide the dusted fish right on in there a couple minutes per side. Take it out and let it drain a little bit on some paper towels. And then what you do is you clean out the pan, clean out that oil from the pan, wipe it out. But while it's still warm, turn the flame all the way down and make yourself a brown butter, just like a real you know you're just kind of like caramelizing all of the milk solids in the butter till it gets brown mm-hmm. you know you can add some white wine in there you can add some lemon juice you know there's a lot of different ways to adorn it any type of herbs sometimes people put capers garlic you know whatever but even if all you did was the brown butter and served it with like a nice wild greens or any bitter greens to balance out that fattiness oh man That Mm -hmm. would be great. And also the other thing with like this type of fish is it needs a little help from some fat because there's not much there, you know, so, but your sea bass sounds delicious. 
yeah, I love sea bass. It's it's uh, one of my favorite fishes, and it's it's pretty good for you. So you know, very, it's good. Very good for you. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Now I'm gonna have to learn how to fry some fish with some brown butter because I don't ever fry fish because I'm I always try to be like, no breading. I'm dieting. But... No. You know, when you think about it, if you have a number of different techniques that you employ for whatever it is you're cooking, you know, don't think about it as a diet because you're probably using all of a total of two tablespoons of flour on the outside of this fish. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. and the butter, sure. if it's good grass-fed butter, is is good for you. That's that's not an issue, you know? So. Right. All right, cool. You've talked me into it. I'll, I'll make it. Zoom me. <laughs> Zoom me and I'll walk you through it. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for bringing this out today. And we will catch up with you next week. Sounds great. Well, everyone, that does it for today's show. But before we go, we'd like to thank Michael and Paul for generously partnering with us, in addition to Old Glory DC, by offering a sample set of the whiskeys we tasted on today's episode to one of our lucky listeners. For your chance to win, visit www.spiritsofwhiskey.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. An email notification will be sent to the winner, so keep an eye on that inbox. All entries must be received by February 10th to be eligible to win. Offer valid to U.S. listeners only. For show notes on today's podcast, please visit our website at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include links and supporting documents from today's Whiskey Chronicles, as well as tasting notes and recommendations from today's World of Wheezy. As always, you'll see upcoming topics, a guest roster, and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Salam. You can become a sustaining supporter of Spirits of Whiskey by making a monthly donation. Just visit the Spirits of Whiskey page at anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm forward slash spirits dash of dash whiskey and click on the support button. And if you really like us, give us a five star rating and a review. Thank you. Spirits of Whiskey is produced by First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are heard.